Well, Pastor Jason, I haven't heard that one in a long term. Is this because I told you I had my 20-year reunion? You got to bring it back, yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's, that was a senior year Excel right there. But the good ones never die out. The good ones are always good. Church, I am uh, so excited. Uh, this weekend, there's been a lot of work that we've been prepping into uh, tomorrow's event. And I'll just be honest with you, like, from the get-go, you know, when, when the Lord positioned me in this new uh, role, I remember one of my heart's desires was, man, I just feel like it's important to bring back the church picnic. And part of that for me was, it was an opportunity to gather the entire church together for one event. And, uh, and that was my heart stirring. And I remember uh, it was going to be too hard to try to do it in the first year, just to turn around and location and stuff like that. But I remember this is the year that I was thinking, all right, we're going to try to pull it off. And God just began to open doors and began to create opportunities. We were able to rent Camp Hickory, which is a campground that we've had relationships with for literally over a decade. <clears throat> Our youth have used that campground year in, year out. And, um, you know, I always joke, it's not the greatest of campgrounds, but man, they do it for us really cheap because of the relationship that we have. And um, they've really done a phenomenal job of keeping up with us. And uh, even with this event, they have been so great and uh, just making things accommodating for us and, and providing things for us. Uh, honestly, we weren't able to do this at all in the way that we were doing it if it wasn't for uh, key people. Someone uh, in particular that I need to give a shout out to is Jenny Aguirre. Uh, Jenny, she runs a lot of our, anytime we do a major food event, uh, Jenny runs that whole process of, of catering and, and food portion. Uh, she also happens to be my sister. We don't look as much alike, but if you squint, you can see it. Um, but honestly, just with her preparation and getting the team together and buying the food, the menu that we were looking at uh, from a catering service, one of the cheaper ones that we could try to get, the exact same theme, she was able to save us $20,000 by just doing it in-house. I mean, it's ain't no way we could have gave you a free picnic if it wasn't for somebody like Jenny and and then all the other volunteers that have come together. And then here's the deal. When we were starting to put this all together, I remember talking to the team and going, you know what? Um, we got the campground. They said it's for a minimum of 100 people. They're giving us a flat rate. They're not charging us by head. I was like, I think we can get 100. Honestly, like, I feel real encouraged if we can get to 200. And this is our first picnic in a long time. So if we can get 200 and do it really, really well, then that'll get some momentum going for next year. And then people will want to come. And then all of a sudden, the thing started blowing up, and, and it went from like, wow, to like, oh, that's a lot of people. Um, you know, we passed 200 like weeks ago, and now I think when it closed, we were somewhere around 640 people registered for the church picnic. Now, let me just say this. That's a little bit more than what we average on a Sunday. It's a little bit more. So I'm going to assume y'all didn't try to throw your own little family reunion at this picnic. I'm going to assume it's evangelistic. You got some family members, some friends that you're trying to get to church, and the picnic is a good open door for that. I see that. And so that's what we're going to say, all right? I'm just hoping they show up next Sunday when we don't have a picnic. You can bring them to church. They've bent with each other. And uh, anybody who's just from a different church and is just crashing our picnic, I will find you. And listen, I'm not trying to be hard. Let me tell you why, why you know, because some people have asked, like, can I invite my friends, my neighbors, my this, my that? And, and it's hard for me to say, because I'm, my family, like, we were always like, just bring everybody. 
there's enough food, just bring everybody. Like that was always the mindset. And it always drove us nuts on the inside, but on the outside, we're like, just bring everybody. It's not a big deal. And so it was hard for me to say that, but part of why we tried, I don't know, I don't know how we'll do it differently next year. We, we might have to just give you Belmont codes and you're like, which service do you go to? What did Joey preach about the last four weeks? Like, we might have to just do quizzes on you. Um, but but part, of how, part of why we wanted to do this is because really the heart of this picnic is not the free food and the games and the swim pool and all that stuff. Really, this is a wonderful opportunity for us to have more than enough time to get together and actually get to know each other. A church full of strangers is not a church. Okay, we need to be a church with relationship. We need to be a church that's united, not just united in what we believe, but united in the family of God, united in each other, getting to know each other's name so that we're not sitting next to a stranger for the last 10 years. Listen, if the person you've been sitting next to, you've been sitting next to all year and you still don't know their name, that's the problem. Okay, this is one of the, and I get it. Some people will say, well, we know we got to leave quick because we got another service and, you know, I don't get here early enough and I got to go get my kids and there's, there's just no time, Pastor, to get to know each other. Well, the picnic, there's more than enough time because literally we're just opening the grounds to everyone. So there's a couple of scheduled things if you'd like to be a part of some organized activities. But for the most part, if somebody asks me, what are we supposed to do? Whatever you want, go talk to somebody. Go build a relationship. Go introduce yourself to people. Do whatever you can to try to ingrain yourself into the family of God. Because this is so crucial to us being successful as a church. We can get all the lights and sound equipment. We can get a phenomenal team on the platform. My preaching can get 10 times better. We can get the parking lot redone 15 times over. We can do everything cosmetically and everything necessary to make this look pretty. But the only way you get a really vibrant church is when the church is united in everything that God has called us to be. <clears throat> so much so, I think that's so important, and that when Jesus, right before he was about to be uh, captured and beaten and bruised and crucified, he gathered his disciples together. And before them, he began to pray to the God the Father. And as he's praying to God the Father, he's praying specific prayers for the disciples that are in front of him. And then he makes a little bit of caveat in John chapter 17. He switches from just those disciples and he broadens it to all the disciples who are to come. Listen, John 17, verse 20 through 21. It says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That means you. That means every person in this room who considers himself a a believer, a true believer, someone who is saved by grace, someone who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. What the scripture is saying here is that the prayer that Jesus is about to pray was a prayer over 2,000 years ago made specifically for you and this congregation. And what is that prayer? I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Listen, when you got some last words, some parting words for people that you care deeply about, you're very calculated on what you're going to say. You don't just say random things. Jesus was very calculated in his prayer right now. He's not just spitting stuff off. He's not just going, oh, run, and don't forget to turn off the stove and, uh, you know, be nice to people and, and wash your teeth. You know, he's, no, no. 
Hey, listen, this is my prayer. This is my heart, not just for you, but for every believer. Oh, that they would be one. Why? Because this will not survive if we are divided. The faith cannot survive over 2,000 years of persecution if the believers were divided. Sure, there have been some divisions. There have been some things that have caused uh, breaks and that have caused issues and trauma. But the way the Christian faith has been able to survive over 2,000 years ago or for over 2,000 years is no matter the controversy, no matter the drama, no matter the, you know, the, the leader who was a, a cult leader or an abuser or whatever kind of horrible thing they were, whatever kind of church hurt had occurred, whatever kind of horrible things had been done in the name of Christianity which are not of God, no matter what occurred, the true believers of Christ have maintained unity in the body. And because that maintenance of unity, Christianity has survived. Christianity has survived so long that you and I had an opportunity to be a part of that wonderful link of believers that traces all the way back to that prayer that they would be one. And so there's a few thoughts I have on those two verses that I think are important for you and I to understand. And the first thing is this. It's important to recognize that we all have what I would call positional unity. Positional unity. What does that mean? He says, and all who will ever believe. We are instantly united because of our relationship with Christ. In other words, automatically, when you said yes to Jesus, you became a part of the family of God. So we don't choose. We're not the gatekeepers. We don't go, really, you want to let them in the family? I don't know, God. They're kind of weird. That person bullied me back in school. That person's got a funny face. What about it? I don't know. It's just their face, something about their face, right? We don't get to choose who becomes part of the family of God. Listen, in this room, all types of faces, all types of people, we didn't choose. I don't stand at the door and say, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes. You just come in with all your brokenness and all your messed up stuff because we're all messed up. By the way, if you, if you think that church, you know, people often will say something like, ah, church is full of hypocrites. No, it's full of messed up people. But that, that's a dumb phrase. That's like going to a hospital going, oh, it's full of sick people. That's what it's for. That's the whole point. And so the church is full of people that are in need of a savior. It's full of people that are struggling in their walk and that are trying to strive to become more and more like Christ. That's the reality of the church. But we all get to be a part of the church if we've all accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Listen, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it says, some of us are Jews. Some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. There's nothing about my faith that makes me better than you. We all share in the one faith. We're all part of one body. We are all in this family together. This is critical to understand because a lot of times we, we kind of make judgment calls and we look at people and we're like, well, we're just so different. Yeah, I can see the differences, but do you understand that the commonality is stronger than the differences? Yeah. That the thing that binds us together is more powerful than anything that could ever divide us? That the fact that we have the same Father in heaven, that we have the same Savior, that we've been spared by the same blood, that unites us in ways that you can never imagine? And I'm telling you, for me, it's been amazing. Uh, just the relationships that I've built around the world, literally around the world, because of that one common thing, we're believers. We're Christians. 
We're in this fight together. We believe the same thing. We have the same core value. We are going after the same thing. We pray to the same God. This is huge in connecting us as a family. And when I find out that somebody else is a believer, man, I light up. I get so, even like, I don't know if you're like this, but you ever like, I mean, I can't watch any show without IMDb and everybody and like going through all their, I'm like, I know that character from somewhere and I'm just sitting there scrolling. And when I go through an actor's profile and I go, oh, they're Christian. I get so excited. I was like, oh, babe, look, he's a Christian. I knew he was a Christian. Just the way he did that one thing in that one scene, I knew he was a Christian. As a matter of fact, I remember one time, you guys ever watch like any of those Chicago PD shows, Chicago, like all the Chicago ones, right? I, I feel like people outside of Chicago watch those shows more than people inside Chicago. But I remember one time um, I was driving down North Avenue and I was kind of caught in traffic and one of the main actors from the show, I think he played a character named Antonio. Um, one of the ma- very good looking man. Uh, I pull up and he's like getting out of his car and I'm just like, like this distance away from him. And he's getting out of his car and I'm like, oh snap, it's that dude from that thing. And so I looked at, and I remember reading as I was doing my research back in the day, I remember reading that he was a believer. And so I remember, you know, I, I kind of, he was locking up his car and I was like, hey, love your work. And he turned around, oh, I appreciate it. And then he went back to locking up his stuff. And then I just happened to say, is it true that you're a believer? He turned around and lit up like a Christmas tree. Like he was so happy. And he ran over to me. He's like, yeah, brother, God bless you. Shook my hand, gave me a little dab. I was like, yeah, you know, we had to go obviously in traffic. And I'll never remember, I'll never forget two things. How incredibly kind and happy he was to just hear another believer. And like he sh- like we were brothers in that second. And then second thing, I have never in my life felt a softer hand than that man's hand. <laughs> oh my Jesus. He could have slapped me and I would have fell asleep on it. Like, it was so pillowy. I'm like, you are an actor, my friend. Like, that is the softest hand I've ever felt. But isn't it crazy? I've never met that person. He's a celebrity. He's on TV. He's probably got, I know for a fact, he's got way more money than I'll ever have. And just one small 20-second interaction. I compliment him on his work. He's grateful, but it's not a big deal. I recognize that we're both brothers and suddenly he realizes oh that's not a fan talking to me that's a brother let me go greet my brother that's the beauty of the unity of the body and this is what we need to strive for so when we're out at Tony's or whatever store and you're going through the aisle and you see somebody from your church you're like I think they go to my church (laughs) yeah I've done that they're like I think they go to my church (laughs) you know what you maybe should do hey do you go to Belmont yeah, oh, I go to Belmont too. What's your name? Let's meet. We both live in this neighborhood. Wow, you also have a seven-year-old. So great. Our kids go to school together. Wow, we actually have things in common. Instead of picking up your phone and faking like you're texting somebody, just go meet them for a little bit. It happens to me all the time. And listen, I'll be honest with you. I don't even know all of you. And this is unfair because all of you know me. Like, I'm telling you all these stories. You guys all know me. I haven't heard your stories. I don't know what your 20-year reunion was like, but you guys all hear my stories. And so a lot of times I'll stop at a store and I'll just hear this, pastor. And it's always funny. It's like when you see a teacher outside of school, you're like, they exist. I think that's how people feel when they see their pastor outside. You shop? Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, often. (laughs) But listen, please, if you see me outside, Say hello. Tell me your name. Don't just assume I know it. Tell me your name. Tell me your story. 
Let me know who you are. Like, give me a chance to get to know you a little bit. That's my goal tomorrow, is to walk around and get to know your stories, get to know your names. Am I going to remember them all on the first try? No, have grace on me and tell me again. Like, I want to try to get to know you. You should try to get to know me, and we should try to get to know each other. Why? Because Jesus prayed for our unity, which is our second thing. He prayed for that unity, that they may all be one. We have to value how important it is to be united because of how valuable it was to Jesus. Jesus is about to be captured, killed, and uh, go through one of the biggest issues that anyone has ever gone through. And his biggest last request was for us to be one. You know what I love about our church? And I think a lot of churches would be jealous of this. Is that we are a multi-ethnic congregation. We have over 66 nationalities in this room right now. It's all types of ethnicities, all types of backgrounds. Phenomenal. We are a multi-generational congregation. We got them from the cradle all the way, and I'm not going to say the grave, but like, you know, we got them from the cradle to the senior saints in this room who have been long-standing and serving faithfully for a long time. And what I love about it is we all hang out. We can be in the same room. I was at our, our last women's event, and I just loved watching some of the younger ladies hanging out with some of the older ladies, and it didn't seem to be any kind of weird buffering. I, I love looking at my wife on her text message when she's with all the groups and women that she had a Bible study with, and I look at that group text, and I see 20-year-olds and 50-year-olds, and they're just hanging out and talking to each other, gleaning from one another. I love our children's ministry, our youth ministry, our young adult ministry, our adult ministry, and that we could all be in one together. I mean, the... Front row during worship is filled with young people that are going after. This is an incredible thing about our church because here's the reality. You know, sometimes people will complain about babies crying in the church. That is a ringing endorsement that the church is alive, all right, because we need to make sure that the next generation continues to strive. But at the same time, we haven't abandoned those who have come before us and have laid the groundwork and have fought really hard to make sure that we are where we are. This is the beauty of being multi-generational. We're not catering to just one particular age group or one particular demographic. We believe that this is a place for everyone to come together, and you can see it in our demographics. This is awesome. Listen, we're multilingual. We have an English service, and we have a Spanish service. The Spanish service is just around 200 attendees. And with what this community is going into under the migrant situation, this is an opportunity for us as a church to continue to make a magnificent impact in our community, right? Our Spanish congregation is filled with migrants and people that are coming looking for hope, looking for jobs, and yet they find Christ in this room. This is powerful. This is wonderful. The fact that we have them. Now, listen, it's not easy when your pastor has to go preach in the Spanish service, okay? Because I know some of you bilingual people are making fun of me in your hearts, the people who stick around, they're like, that's not the word. I'm like, well, you preach it then, okay? It's not, it's not easy for me to do it. But I am grateful that we have it because it just makes us more powerful and more effective in the community that we're in. We are a multicultural generation filled with diversity. But we're one church. All right? We're not Excel. We're not Compass Kids. We're not Spanish congregation. We're not English ministry. One church, Belmont Assembly of God. And in that one church, we have all these wonderful parts. Man, I don't know how it would be. I, I, I talked to some other pastor friends who don't have what we have in, in the multi-aspects. And I'm like, I'd get bored. 
I remember I was talking with our intern, Emily Waterman, when she first came out. She's like, I'm just not used to this. I'm like, isn't it awesome? You can just eat anywhere around the world. Like, there's somebody here who could cook that. Like, it's phenomenal to have that culture. And I'm sure now Emily's talking to me when she goes back. She's like, it feels boring. I'm like, yeah. Because this is the spice of life. And honestly, this is the glimpse of heaven. Because the Bible tells us, Revelation chapter 7, as we're seeing heaven, this is an account of heaven, Revelation 7, verse 9 and 10. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language. Nobody is exempt. It's a huge, vast crowd of every tribe, of every people, of every nation, of every language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with the great roar, salvation comes from our God. Not my God and not your God, but from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Unity is heaven. If you don't like multicultural, multi-generational, multilingual, you're going to really be uncomfortable in heaven because that's what it looks like. If you want an all-one-thing church, I don't know if God's got a little corner in heaven just for you guys, but I highly doubt it because Scripture tells me we all get thrown in the blender. We are all together. Listen, it's, it's September. It's way too hot for September already. But in my mind, I'm already in soup season. <clears throat> I'm a soup connoisseur, okay? Like, I just love me some soup. When they go to the restaurant and they go super salad, I'm like, bro, you don't even have to ask. Soup all day, every day, okay? Soup is my jam. And what I love about soups and what I'm fascinated about, I like making soups. They're just all different recipes. What I love about it is you mix all these amazing ingredients, oftentimes ingredients that you don't think would go together. You got sweet and spicy and savory and salty, and you're mixing all these things up, and you're making different bones in there for broth, and you're, you're mixing different vegetables that are, some are sweet, some are bitter, some are tart. You're putting everything together in this one pot, and you give it enough time to kind of blend together and meld together, and you get this wonderful, powerful aroma and taste, and it just fills the room in your heart and it's just oh so delicious and the best soups those are like hours some soups take two days to create and that's the church every part every one of you it's a little bit of flavor that adds to this wonderful soup we're creating some of you are savory some of you are a little sour <laughs> very few but some are a little bitter <laughs> a couple of you are spicy <laughs> But it all comes together in this wonderful soup that the Lord is creating. But listen, at the end of the day, we don't call it 50 ingredients. We call it soup. It's a soup. It's not every one of its parts. It's the sum of its parts. And that's the beauty of the church. That's what we have to hold on to. We embrace our individuality, our cultures, our language. We're grateful for all those things. But they come together because if I make a soup and it just tastes sour, it's not a good soup. I need the flavors to blend. I need it to balance out. Number three, I talked about positional unity. There's also a thing I like to call practical unity. <clears throat> Listen, practical unity. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Practical unity is a unity that we grow into. See, positional unity means we have been united simply because of our shared faith in Christ. 
but practical unity is a unity that we grow into. We didn't create this unity, but we are responsible to maintain the unity of the body. So you don't get to choose whether or not we are going to be a church. We are a church. That's just a given. That's automatic. But we are responsible as members of this church to maintain the unity of this church. Listen, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 through 6. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Keep yourselves, right? Maintenance. United in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, (coughs) one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Maintain unity. It sounds like we're putting out fires or settling disputes. But what about preventative maintenance? Because to maintain something doesn't just mean to fix something that's broken. Often it can mean to prevent something from breaking. Changing your oil regularly will prevent you from having to switch your engine out one day. Replace or repair equipment before it falls apart. Or calendar schedule maintenance so that you make a routine cleanup so that you can prevent a major overhaul. This is what preventative maintenance does. Preventative maintenance is intentional so that you can prolong the life of something. As a church, we have to practice preventative maintenance to ensure that we don't become divided as a church. So what does that look like? Stay in touch with people. Let them know how you're doing. And then you tell them or make sure they tell you how they're doing. All right. This is so incredibly important. Sister Sissy uh, just popped into my office earlier uh, to tell me about some stuff going on in her family. Her sister uh, had her house burned down, and she was down there for a few weeks, and she's just asking me for prayer. And this is good. Like, I want to know this stuff, but not just me. Like, we should know this stuff. So, by the way, keep Sister Sissy's, her sister, in prayer. Like, she's going through a rough battle. The, the enemy's going to try to use this to attack, and this is where we come together. One of our sisters on Wednesday, she had a report that they found a mass in her breast and she has a biopsy next Wednesday and she just was talking about how she felt alone and so we brought her to the front and we had the sisters of the church gather around her. We anointed her with oil. We prayed over it. We prayed that that biopsy would come back negative. We prayed that God's glory would be raised and not just the prayer but the encouragement she felt from the unity of the body coming together and embracing her in her time of need. That was so critical. That's where the church becomes so vital but but we can't do that if we have no idea who you are or what's going on in your life or what's happening and vice versa. You might be in a wonderful position where nothing terrible is happening. Praise God for that. But that means you're also in a position to help somebody who's going through some difficult times. And so we need one another in unity to hold each other's back. The Bible talks about in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one because they can stand back to back and fight. Three are even better for a triple braided cord. It's not easily broken. When the two of us come together with Christ and we bind ourselves together, we can help each other. And this is that beautiful, practical unity that we grow into. And so we have to be willing to stay in touch. We have to tell people what's going on. If you disappear for a month, we may not notice, but don't just wait for somebody to call you. You call us. Let us know what's happening. I'm in the hospital. My son's having an issue. Okay, we're going to go send somebody. Can you send a pastor? I can send anybody. Why does it have to even be a pastor, by the way? The only reason, honestly, we would send a pastor is because they probably have time to go there during the day because that's part of their job. 
but you are just as blessed for any believer to show up in that hospital room and pray down. Because I'll tell you what, there are some believers in this room, many of which, that are better than any of my pastors, present company included, at prayer. It's just a gift that they have. Stay in touch. Here's another one. Be intentional about meeting new people. Your new best friend might just be a hello away. Some of you struggle with loneliness, and I get that. But a lot of times, that's a feeling, not a reality. And if you are just willing to go and say hello to somebody, to get out of Listen, if you're at the picnic sitting in the corner by yourself, waiting for somebody to come say hi to you, you might wait there all day. But if you just get up and go say hi to somebody, go join a domino game, go watch the sports that going on, go, I mean, just hang out, just go do something with somebody, you'd be shocked how quickly you can make friends. And we've said this before, and we know that it's true. People that we thought we hated can easily become your new best friend when you just talk to them. There are people in whatever, in school, at work, you walk in, you're like, can't stand that person. Why? Just, just they don't, yeah, just can't stand them. No reason, just don't like them. And then you get to meet them and you're laughing years later. I couldn't stand you when I met you. You were so annoying. <laughs> but this is the beauty of growth. Listen, some of our issues with people is simply because you don't know them. And so you interpret some things. Oh, well, they said this and they said, you don't even know them. You don't even know if that's what they meant. Like you're, you're projecting your own insecurities and your own issues on other people simply because you haven't taken the time to get to know them. So if you just said hello and you just started to build some relationship and some camaraderie, you might find out, wow, we have a lot in common. We both don't like that person. That's awesome. <laughs> now I'm just saying, don't do that. Don't be like that. Here's another one. Get involved in ministry. Why do you always push that? Because you know what? When you work next to somebody, that's when you become friends. You know what I'm talking about. You got that one friend at work that's your bestie. Because you both, you know, talk about the boss and complain to each other and have that. But it, they're only your friend because you work side by side with them. If you didn't work at the same job, you might have never even met them. And listen, some of your greatest prayer warriors are going to be people that you serve alongside. Get involved in a ministry. We just talked about the choir. Listen, the choir is going to be a wonderful opportunity. How many choir practices are there, Pastor Jason? Eight. Okay. Eight practices. Eight times, let's just say it's an hour practice. Eight hours that you get to spend with the same 20 people. You're going to get to know each other. You're going to find out who's flat and who's singing on Broadway. <laughs> but you're going to get to know each other. This is a one, if you're like, I just don't know anybody here. Join the choir. Listen, just, if it's that bad, just sing watermelon the whole time. Ain't nobody going to notice. Okay? We'll teach you. We'll get you. We'll show you how to sing or we'll show you how to fake like you can sing. But we'll get you there. But honestly, the, big, the biggest benefit is not the sound you're going to make, but the relationships you're going to make. If you were to join something, and then here's a good one. Don't neglect coming together, as Scripture says. Don't neglect the gathering of believers as some are in the habit of doing, says Scripture. It's easy to skip a Sunday, and then two, and then three. And next thing you know, it's been five years since you went to church. Don't let that, that domino fall. Don't neglect it. That, you know, how many times, let's be honest with ourselves, how many times did we not feel like going to church only to come out of the service going, I'm so grateful I came. I needed to hear that. I needed to know that. I needed to talk to that sister. I needed to talk to that brother. But we got to motivate each other. We got to push each other. And part of that is, we, I can't motivate you if I don't see you, if I don't know that you're here. And here's the last one I got for this one. 
address small issues before they become big issues. Somebody bugged you, somebody looked at you sideways, go address it. Don't just let it fester in your heart forever. If, if I walked past you and, and you tried to say hi and I didn't say hi, I might not even have seen you. Address that. Hey, pastor, you know what? You, you walked by me earlier and I, I was trying to say hi to you and you just kind of walked past. I don't even know if you saw me, but I felt a certain way about it and I just wanted to bring it up to you. Man, I, I had no idea. Or you know what? I, I saw you. I was just rushing because my kid was going crazy. I needed to get my kid. I am so sorry. Problem solved. We, we, we nailed it. Instead, there's Pastor Joey. Five years ago, I tried to say hi to him. <laughs> Never said hi back. I don't even like it. I don't even know why I keep coming. He's annoying as all. Well, I appreciate you maintaining unity. <laughs> Worship team, if you can help me out. Listen, one of our biggest battles has to be staying together. We will not succeed as a church divided. We will not succeed as a church if we're strangers. It's not good enough that you know me. This ain't my church. We have to know each other. We are the church. We have to know each other so that if someone's missing, I may not pick up on it. You know, the board every month, we sit down, we go through the membership roster, and we try to figure out, hey, is there anybody we haven't seen? Do we need to call somebody? Do we need to check up on somebody? But that's not easy for 12 to 15 people to do. It's a lot easier if all of us do the buddy system and we all got somebody. And we all recognize that somebody's missing or that somebody's going through something or that something's happening. And here's the deal. Then you don't have to always run to me and go, Pastor Joe, you need to pray for so-and-so. Are you praying for so-and-so? I'm glad to join you. But are you? Like, you're the first line of defense. You're part of this church. And so we come together as a body. We have to come together as a body because as Jesus was praying, there's a purpose behind the unity. And it's not just the edification of the church but it's for the edification of the world. Listen, there is purposeful unity. Jesus said, made this prayer, and then he gave us the reason for the prayer so that the world would believe. John 13, 34 through 35. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for each other. Not your love for the world. Not your love for unbelievers. Why would anybody want to be part of this church if you don't even like each other? If somebody walks in here and sees you talking bad about some other person and sees you ignoring this and doing that and acting, if if they feel drama in here, I got enough drama in my own life. I don't want to come and join this drama. But when they come in and they sense the love of God, which by the grace of God, I, I am always been grateful that that is one of the most common compliments we hear about our church. It feels like a family. When I walked in, I felt loved. I felt embraced. And I pray to God that that'll always be one of the biggest compliments we hear. But that's us doing it. That's not Pastor Joey. And so we got to come together because the world is waiting for a family to join. God has brought us together as a family in his blood. And the rest of the world is waiting for their opportunity. And they may not ever get it if they don't see it. Listen, some of us, we're the only Bible they'll ever read. We're walking testimonies of God. And it's not just the individual, but it's the corporate. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And as you stand, would you grab that communion cup? Jeremiah, can you pass me mine right there? (coughs) 
Jesus before his capture and death and resurrection. He gathered his disciples together and he had what we've come to call now communion. Come together, union. This was his hope that by the breaking of his body, which is the bread that we have, and the shedding of his blood, we would become community. A coming together of people lost, abandoned, in need of a savior, found by Jesus. If you're missing one, by the way, raise your hand, our ushers will get you one. And the reason Jesus has asked us to do this in remembrance of me, to continue to do this, is obviously to remember him. But I think a subcategory of our doing communion together is to remember that this is what binds us. This is the greatest glue we have. We're all different with different backstories, different problems, different issues, but the same Savior, same blood. And as they say, blood is thicker than water. It's by the blood of the Lamb and the breaking of His body that we are saved. We all have this in common, and we give glory and honor to God because of that. As a matter of fact, Jesus even said, if you got an issue with your brother, and scriptures talks about, if you have an issue with your brother, put down your communion, go be reconciled, then come back and take your communion. Otherwise, you are taking your communion unworthily. Think about how important that is. He's saying, don't even take communion if you got issues with each other. That's how important unity is. That you can't take this in unity and then be disunified with each other. No, no, no. If you got a problem with the brother or sister, put down the communion. Go get reconciled. Get right with them. Squash whatever it is. Then come back and take communion. And I would encourage you, no shame in the game here. If there's an issue you have with somebody in this room that's unresolved, by all means, listen to the scripture. Don't partake right now. Hold it off to the side. Go talk to that brother. Go talk to that sister. Do everything you can as far as it depends on you. And once there's reconciliation, come and take your communion. What good is it to go through the motions if we're not honoring God and our truth? So I'm going to pray. And then when I'm done praying, let's take the bread and the cup together. And then we'll worship God one more time before we leave. Heavenly Father, God, everything that we're doing tomorrow is not just for fun, but it's to bring this body together. Our English service, our Spanish service, our young adults, our teens, our children, to get us on one property at one time to have conversations, to build relationships, to enjoy each other's company, to laugh and play. Father God, we know that your greatest desire was our unity. Like any father would want his children to love each other. Your desire is that your children would love each other. And so, Father, I pray, help us, God. Even now, Lord, if there's conviction because there's unreconciliation, there's an issue with somebody in this room, God, I pray that we would take down our communion and go be reconciled. Lord, let us honor you, not just with our lips, but with our actions. And, Lord, that we would fight to maintain the unity of the body. And, Lord, we would make every effort to grow in our relationship with each other to know every person in this room so that every new person that walks in this room will be made known as well. We thank you for this, Father, and we bless this in your mighty name.
And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Take the bread and the cup together, church.